Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, the evolution of photo printers, the gap gets caught red-handed, and crowdsourcing your next photography project. It's Saturday, February 5th, 2011, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to This Week in Photo, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are none other than Catherine Hall, Tristan Hall, no relation, and Sarah France. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. All right. uh, First off, uh, Sarah France has not been on the show in forever so we need to we need to catch up with you first, Sarah. Where where have you been and what have you been doing? Just lots of lots of shooting, I imagine. Yeah, lots of shooting. I think it's been uh it's been a great year this last year, definitely, and um and some speaking and training and stuff like that. I think maybe right around the time last time I was on, I was doing Aperture Three was coming out and yeah. I was doing some uh trainings and stuff for that. So I've been really involved with uh, Mac Create and just doing trainings and stuff for them as well. And then getting ready for WPPI now. I mean, it's only a couple of weeks away and I'm um, doing a master class and also speaking uh, on the floor at Sony. So wow. uh, it's going to be exciting. Wait, yeah. You're speaking at, in the Sony booth, really? Yeah, they're, they're having me speak on their video lights. So I'm doing a video light presentation for my master class and it's all about doing video light. And so they asked me to to demo and show some of the video light stuff in their booth. So oh, I'm really cool. excited. Yeah. Very cool. That's uh, I was going to I was going to say if you were going to be talking about Sony DSLRs, Tristan is the master of the Sony line, right Tristan? I wouldn't take it so far, but I've had a lot of experience with it. Well, compared to, I would say, you know, us three, you're probably the master, you know, shooting Sony. That's well, always- you, I should definitely talk to you because they de- they uh, gave me some of their gear to test and I've been playing with it for about a week and um, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. I, I have to I, say, surprisingly so. So also, nice also on the line here um, is Catherine Hall, who hasn't been on in a while, but she's a familiar voice. Hey, Catherine. Hi. So you uh, gallivanting around the world again, I'm sure. Where, where has your travels taken you over the past several months? Oh, gosh. I've actually been working on stuff that I've, <laughs> I've tried to put myself on hold because I, I um, was traveling so much that I wasn't actually working on the images I was taking. Mm. I think we've all run into that where you're sort of building and building and building and then you're not having enough time to actually go through the work that you're shooting. So right now I'm sort of on hold or not hold, but um, I'm locking myself down in the studio and just getting through the the work um, that I've shot in the last year or two. Yeah. 
Yeah, when that happens, when you build up a bunch of images like that, that they're making you feel bad because you haven't processed them, I, I think the best thing to do is start a new library and just <laughs> start fresh. Oh, I've done that already a couple times. De- declare, declare photography bankruptcy and just start, start from zero. Uh-huh. That's the story of my life. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, welcome, welcome back to the show. And Tristan Hall coming to us out of South Africa. Uh, guy that is behind Photo Comment Magazine. Tristan, how, how are you doing and what's been up in your neck of the woods? Uh, doing really well. We've um, been very busy getting deadline after deadline. I didn't think it would get this busy, but it's been, been good for us. And um, just a big thanks and a shout out to, to everybody supporting us on that side of, of the ocean. Uh, we've seen over the last couple of weeks a big increase in readers coming from, from the US. So big thanks uh, on, on that side. It's uh, always nice to see that we're doing something right and people are taking an interest in what we're doing. That's wonderful. So. That's great. Well, I hope, I hope This Week in Photo is able to help with driving some traffic over there. It's a great magazine. Thank you. And you guys, you're printed now, right? I mean, you were you started off as internet only, yeah. and now you actually have a, a dead tree version, right? That <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult to to kind of get people to 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 view the mag digitally in South Africa when Apple only just launched the iPad officially here a, a week or two ago. So, oh, okay. um, you know, it's been it's been a a bit slower take up here. So the move to print was was to kind of strengthen our position in South Africa a bit, a bit better. Um, but yeah, we, in fact, March will be our two-year mark um, that Photocomment's been running the, an online magazine. Um, it'll also be the fourth magazine in print. So it, it's, it's kind of flown by. I didn't realize it's happened that quickly. All right, Tristan. Well, uh, a couple of shows ago when you were on, you mentioned that you had the Samsung Galaxy Tab and you were drooling all over it and completely in love with it. <laughs> Are you still in love with it, or has the iPad stolen your affections? Um, actually, I, I think I'm a bit more in love with it. I, I've played with the iPad because I, I was kicking myself thinking, you know, I should have waited a little bit longer because the pricing here was also a lot more competitive than what I thought it would be. Um, but I played around a little bit with it and working on the back end of like our, our website and, and stuff like that. There's certain things the iPad, for example, obviously it doesn't support flash uploading onto to the website, um, which the Galaxy Tab does. And oddly enough, uh, when you use the file browsing option, um, the button says, you know, choose file to upload, for example, a picture into a gallery or whatever. You can't select it on the iPad. It's grayed out. So mm. it's kind of very difficult unless you're running an app like the WordPress app or something like that. It's, it's a bit difficult to do some of the back-end stuff, um, which I would have preferred to do on a bigger screen. So, yes, for that kind of stuff, I'm still working out of my desktop, the Galaxy Tab I use when, it, when it's uh, in a push. Um, but it can do it, which the iPad can't. So I'm not feeling as bad anymore. Got it. But I'm I'm very tempted by by some of the new stuff coming out, like the Motorola and and, and those. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I I, I have gadget lust. <laughs> welcome <laughs> welcome to our world. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna put together a a show in the next couple of months that focuses specifically on hardware devices for photographers and the different options out there. Everything from the iPod Nano all the way up through 
you know, netbooks and iPads and Galaxy tabs and all that and just sort of take it from the standpoint of what are the options and what should photographers get based on who their audience is. For example, someone like Chris, uh, like uh, Catherine is going to need something different than me because she has high end clients and I just have friends. Right. So we're going to have different different levels of needs for the uh, displaying our photography. So we're going to we're going to talk about that a lot and kind of get to the bottom of it. Um, Sounds like a good show. I don't know, Frederick. I think you have a lot of high-end clients. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say high-end high friends, actually. Well, there you go. That's what I like. I like that better. <laughs> high-end friends. I like that. Uh, clients, you know, it's too much overhead with that. So I'm going to um, take a quick pause here and give a nod to our sponsor. Um, this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, and they feature audio versions of many of the New York Times bestsellers. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service. If you'd like to grab yours, just go to audiblepodcast.com com forward slash twip that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip and just fyi um i'm a i'm addicted to podcasts of course um because i eat my own dog food and uh <laughs> and audiobooks and just recently someone recommended an audiobook to me which i recommend you guys read if you or listen to if you haven't already it's called tribes t r i b e s tribes by seth godin now this has been out for a while and everyone knows who seth godin is but i i'd heard of this book but i hadn't hadn't listened to it and i listened to it all the way through on a trip and it's one of those brain shift things it's like oh yeah and the basic premise is all of us including everyone on this call um, has a group of people around you that are, you know, either fans or people that like your work or whatever. And that is what drives your universe of profit. Like, for example, you, Sarah France, you have this giant community as evidenced by your massive army of Facebook followers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and because of those people, that is your support structure. And those people will continue to help you thrive you know as you go forward it basically it just talks about how these these tribes coalesce around people like sarah Catherine, and tristan and help those people to generate more output for that group which then they like and then they like you more and it goes on and on and on so it's a it's a really interesting read it's read by the author seth godin and um you know it's a it's a game changer in a lot of ways so i would definitely check that out and again, if you'd like to try that one, if you haven't signed up for Audible already, just go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip, audiblepodcast.com forward slash T-W-I-P. All right, guys, let's jump into the news now. The first thing is hot on my brain because I have an Epson printer right now that has been honestly sitting on a table for, I don't know, the last... I want to say six months, and I haven't cranked one print out of it. However, I've ordered several prints from a local lab here called Bay Photo um, and mpix.com and those sorts of online services, but I haven't printed anything locally. I want to find out, you professional photographers, Catherine, Tristan, Sarah, have you printed, like, have you laid any ink on a piece of paper recently, or is everything done online? Uh, Catherine, you go first. Well, I, I don't... I'm probably the worst person to ask. <laughs> I, 
Well, here's the thing. I do see that there's obviously a shift and, you know, technology, obviously printers are staying up with technology as we'll talk about with, you know, being able to email photos to printers and all the things that are developing. Um, I don't know that the consumer market, it's hard to say how consistent the consumer market's going to be with printing. Um, however, you know, from a photographer artist standpoint, I don't see, you know, photography art as a, as a fat. So there's nothing that will ever come up that will ever change that will devalue the quality of like a very high end fine art print. So, you know, I use, um, all the different fine art Epson papers, the exhibition series and their exhibition, um, the fiber paper is Mm -hmm. like, has the most gorgeous, amazing heavyweight feel, something that you can't get at these third-party labs. And so I see it as a differentiating factor, something that I can offer my clients that they wouldn't get themselves. And um, it's so for me, I don't see the art form of printing ever dying. However, that's from an artist standpoint. From the consumer print standpoint, I think the new generations that – communicate through Flickr and Facebook and Twitter. I I don't know. I I don't know if it will continue as much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going with it. You know, I know like I, I see you guys as if, if you picture a pyramid with the, the photography world living in that pyramid, the base of the pyramid and maybe even three quarters of the way up are advanced amateurs and amateur photographers. These are people that just love photography. Um, and they're sharing most of their stuff online they're using online sharing services to get their to share their work whether it be through you know uh instagram or Flickr or whatever they're sharing that way and not necessarily doing the print the top of the pyramid are the Catherine halls and sarah francis and tristans out there that are uh they like Catherine, if you do this amazing shot and one of the places you travel to and you want to make a limited edition run of of giant prints of this, of course, you're going to do it yourself and pull out the magnifying glass and make sure each print is right before you sign it, all that stuff. But the average guy like me, you know, the average guy, do I even need to print anymore is what, what I'm getting at. Sarah, do, do, do you print or do you send everything out or are you a digital person only? Yeah. I mean, I think all, all photographers do print. It's just a matter of how they how they do it. But we have really gotten to the point that we don't do any printing ourselves, and we're trying to skip as many steps when it comes to printing as possible. So the majority of our prints go out as albums, or they go out as mounted prints that are like canvas or or wood mounts or different things like that that are finished products. And the majority of the time, those are printed by the labs yeah. um, specifically. So. Uh, even albums, you can skip a lab and go straight to the album company. Nowadays, all the album companies are doing their are doing the printing for you, so that you can skip that step. So, I think when it comes to printing for us, ease of use is just as important as it is for consumers. But I think that consumers are consistently going to be looking for new ways to get to print as quickly as possible and as easily as possible. So. The new technology, wherever it goes, is going to go in that direction. You know, it's like, how can I, how can I skip steps? That's basically what people are looking for. And when it comes to being able to send something straight to a printer, for consumers that can make a lot of sense straight from a, from a point and shoot camera to be able to even 
even as technology goes, if you could send that to your friend and it would print out on their printer, I mean, mm-hmm. anything like that um, might be interesting. And I think it's going to be used probably more so in business than it is going to be used in, you know, actually printing photographs. Yep. People still are not, from what I've seen, it doesn't seem like people are printing their own prints. They're definitely using, you know, high resource areas like Costco and Walmart or whatever for consumers to get prints quickly and easily. But um, going straight out of a printer involves like changing paper and changing settings. And until they start making that an an easy to do thing that says, this is a photograph that's a four by six, I'm going to pull a four by six, you know, piece of paper in and I'm going to print it out. Then we might start talking, but I think um, they're still in kind of that that middle ground. Yeah, you know, it it kind of it's almost analogous to the handwritten letter. You know, going the way of like right now, <laughs> everyone expects to get an email. We're trading hundreds of emails every day, but if someone actually sends you a handwritten letter with a stamp that they licked and stuck on there, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And I think it's kind of going there with prints because it's like, okay, if Someone goes through the effort to print something and hand me a photo. It just shows that there's this ef- extra effort that they put in to do that. And it's, uh, you know, it's hopefully it's not, you know, printing isn't going down the route of handwritten letters, but, you know, or maybe it's going in the direction of it's just going to be that extra special touch, like sealing an envelope with wax or something. You know, if you, if you make a yeah. print, you make a print, that means, wow, you actually care about the, the recipient. Yeah, but at the same time, like I've I've been given prints before and literally don't know what to do with them. You know, it's like I they just sit there and I think, oh, that's such a great thing. I have a five by seven of that picture of us, but I don't want it in that form. I want it in a form that I can organize and see when I want to see. And um, so you take I, you take that gonna... five by seven and scan it in, right, sir? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, it can be a really nice thing, like a card or something. But honestly, you're going to look at it and you're and put it with your like mementos in a box. Yeah, Tristan, like, what, what about you? Where where do you fall on the whole printing, you know, going away issue? I should preface these statements by saying, "Do what I say, and not what I do." <laughs> um, I, I, my personal opinion is that a photograph is is a, a really important photograph is not actually a photograph until it's in print. Uh, there's there's something about a, a you know a good landscape or a wonderful portrait or something like that which is which is magical when it's in print, and preferably the bigger it is, the nicer it usually feels. But that being said, I do think in terms of the, the, the general consumer of sharing memories, um, you know, using online services to share those memories is, is their primary importance. It's not – for them, it's not about the final image in that, ex- in that particular instance. It's about being able to share the experience and the memory with others. Yeah. But I think – Prints is it's it's still a big business. I know, for example, Epson here they've they've given us their new multifunctional printer to to test, and um, you know, for them in South Africa, it, it's a big business. It's something that they're pursuing, and I think in many instances we are a lot of these companies are seeing that people are printing more than they did in the days of film because they're shooting more, so they tend to come across more stuff that they want to share in print than what they did previously, um, but. You know that being said, it's um, I think it's a, a difficult market 
to kind of make a an exact this is what's going to happen or not yeah. I, you know it's it's a tough one i totally agree I, I i agree and i disagree i like your first point of a photograph isn't a photograph until it's in print um i agree with the nostalgia and the the romanticism of that but um when you look forward like in in where what people are doing today and in the future i would argue that a a photograph isn't a photograph unless someone sees it so looking at the massive audience that people can expose their photographs to online i think that that far outweighs being able to show it to a finite number of people that can physically be in the same location as that piece of paper at the same time so i mean but but that said these large photographs i mean you know, you can only, depending on the display that you're looking at the photograph on, it's only going to have so much impact. But when you go big, when you print these 20 by 24s or, you know, larger prints and frame them and hang them on the wall, I mean, it just, it has a, a grandeur that's not replicable by, you know, digital means. So, yeah, I, I think there's room for both in there. I think that goes back to what Catherine mm-hmm. was saying about, you know, professional photographers that do these art gallery type prints are not going away especially yeah. with these high-end printers like epson right. on these fiber papers and all that but for the rest of us you know it just comes down to you know how many people you want to see your image and how important that image is mm-hmm. and i want to just interject one thing that's going on both tristan and on frederick um it's interesting your different points about you know photograph is not a photograph till it's in print um, I, I agree with Frederick in the sense that the way it's evolving, I think, you know, it being seen in itself sort of defines that, it, you know, it's an image, it's a photograph. However, with that said, from, you know, going back to the artist standpoint, um, it, there's such an art, and this goes back to what Tristan was saying, the art form of printing in itself takes that image to another level. And, and that's what you were saying, Frederick, with that impact of seeing a 24 by 40 or 24 or 11 by 14 doesn't even have to be huge. But um, going back to that standpoint of if you take something and you, you retouch it properly and you print it properly, it's just taking that art a few more steps further. And you're coming up with a a final product that um, is, you know, optimum I, I don't know how else to say it but yeah. no Catherine it, when you shoot because you're you you use high-end Epson printers and you know you you are that that artisan that we're talking about do you shoot specifically like when you're on location you're shooting say Burning Man or something like that are you shooting with the the print in mind or are you shooting with the location that like that this may be hanging or are you just shooting to get the good image and you'll figure it out later how does that work you know I'm always figured out later person. <laughs> so that, that carries over. I'm sure some people, if they had, you know, an idea of where it was going, it would probably be better. But for me, the way my brain works, I just am very organic in the way I shoot. And so I never have a preconception until I actually see it. And then I'll think, and that's, what's so great about using all these different mediums. Um, you know, the, the burning man, having them printed on that, my images were on, um, 30 by 45 inch sheets of metal, you know, and there's just, I didn't see that when I was capturing them, but it was like when I saw the images and thought in Burning Man so much about metal art, like let's incorporate these two things and make something really in- incredible. Um, so it, using, you know, printing on my own work or whether it's printing on canvas or exhibition fiber paper, but it allows me to sort of take 
a vision that may not have had foresight, but kind of carry it through into a final artistic product. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the, the whole thing is interesting. The one thing that I wanted to talk, touch on in this story in particular was these these new printers. Like you, I think you talked about it. You touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, uh, Catherine was the fact that some of these new printers allow you to email to them, which I think is awesome. So you could take one of these printers, put it at your grandparents or your parents' house, hook it up and connect it to their internet, and it has its own IP address, its own email address, and you just send it prints and they pop out. So circumventing the postal service, I guess, if you want to send them messages or, or send them photos. This is, of course, assuming that they're not online. So if they're online, you could just email them the photo. But if you want to give them a physical print, you could just do it and it would just show up on there. Do you think, Tristan, I want to throw it to you. Do you think email or printing by email has any implications for the professional photographer? Uh it's again. It's a. It, I think it depends on what your client is and and what your what market you're trying to serve. Yeah. Um, I think it could be quite a nice way in in for some people in order to to kind of proof what they're busy doing with and and just to to share memories. But again, it's it's probably still going to be a lot quicker to do it online. Um, it it's it's a. I, yeah, it depends on the market that you're trying to trying to reach and to to touch with. I, I like the idea of of being able to with this little Epson that we've got. It's it's got wireless. It's you can plug a Bluetooth dongle into it, and I enjoyed being able to sit down and and you know print off some pictures from the Galaxy Tab by Bluetooth. You know, mm-hmm. uh, from from the trip to the zoo, and it was quick and easy enough to do. And and that, and I didn't really have to get up, and I could become a bit more of a couch potato. Um, but I, I think ultimately it's 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 a fun experience. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be that much beneficial. You, you know, these aren't large formats with with the wireless printing service. They're generally multifunctional type printers, which are aimed for more home consumer based uh, work. So, so that said, on your when you made those prints from your zoo trip, what did you do with the prints to uh, you know to kind of piggyback on Sarah's comment? Um, they were for my for my mother in law. You know, it's uh, she she gets emails and that, but it's not her favorite thing to sit in front of a computer. And it was nice to give them to her, and she puts them up on on the um, on her fridge and and things like that. So it's it, there's certain certain generations that it it's probably more applicable for, as you said, the grandmother kind of who's not necessarily online or. or doesn't know how to or doesn't is intimidated by Facebook or something like that as a place to share images with. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to the next story I wanted to touch on in this show. Um, the Gap recently came under fire for using Flickr a, a, a Flickr photo to to do like a solarized version of the image to use on some children's clothing. Um, and this wasn't this. This is with no permission. I don't think this was licensed under Creative Commons or anything else, if I'm not mistaken. But they there's a before and after of the the image, the, the regular photograph, and then the the altered version of the image. Now, I would, we're going to put the links to both of these images in the show notes, so the viewers or the listeners can can check it out for themselves. But I want to give your, your first the, the first piece of it. Yeah, I know you guys have seen these photos. Do you think that? that the altered version of the photo is a derivative of the main image. So let's, let's get that out of the way first. Um, Catherine, I'll ask you first. I mean, the, the telephone wires are kind of telling. That's yeah. not, that's just too, <laughs> I'm not saying that I agree that 
I mean, just going on, there has to have been someone saw that photo. I don't know if it was exactly mm -hmm. copied, <laughs> but there's no way that those reflections in the window were coincidence in the same car. Yeah. Yeah. What about what about you, Tristan? You think that you think that's going to stand uh, up in a court of law if Gap says no? That was just another car that happened to look like the the one that's in the image. I I agree with Catherine. It's it's just very it, it's a massive coincidence if it's if it wasn't uh, inspired in any way by the photograph. Yeah, all right. I I agree. And then um, Sarah, do do you agree that this is? Do you agree with everyone else that this is actually that photo? <laughs> Yeah, well, they do um, in the comments of the article. There's actually a guy who overlays the two, which is pretty interesting. Um, that's that's pretty telling for sure. But the interesting thing about it is that the the photos, like, I mean, it's not a, a great photo that somebody would have just gone and said, "Oh my gosh, we have to make a shirt of that." I mean, yeah. I just can't imagine that happening. I kind of see it as. Maybe I'm trying to think what the creative team was thinking when they came up with this shirt. And I'm thinking like, hey, we should do a shirt with a car. You know, those one cars are really cool. Let's, you know, go find imagery of that one car and just start sorting through and trying to find like what the car looks like. I mean, I, that's the only way I can see this kind of going down. But and they ended up on a Flickr photo. I mean, so the, the, the guy happened the, to notice. The deeper <laughs> part of this, I think, in in the question for this this panel is, can you do that? I mean, we had the, we had a show a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the whole Shepherd Ferry and Obama poster uh, controversy and how he took an original work and made something of his own and then claimed it was his own. This is similar to that. In in fact, it's a solarized image again of an original that wasn't that the the artist that created the final work did not have permission to use the image. Is that legal or or? Notwithstanding if it's legal or not, um, I'll throw it to you first, Sarah. If someone takes one of your images and, you know, one of your beautiful wedding images and they decide, hey, I want to make a solarized, whacked out version of this and alter it to heck. And at a certain point, I'm going to say it becomes mine, even though Sarah captured the original pixels. What would you do? I mean, is that is that I, it's not fair, but is it legal? Um, well, you know, I when I saw the story, I, I actually started looking up like what actually happened with the Obama uh, image. And, you know, because that was a big question. If it was legal, it was kind of something that hadn't come up. And um, I came across an article that said that they settled. So there was actually, you know, it wasn't like they lost. I mean, they definitely they definitely had something there. And I think that was kind of a gray area in the past, but mm -hmm. I do think that's becoming more and more predominant and it is definitely showing its true colors that the photo is part of that artwork and needs to be compensated. And that needs to happen up front so that there aren't these issues on the back end. You know, if they, if they see a photo, if they had contacted this guy and offered him a hundred bucks or whatever it was, they wouldn't be having this problem. Right, right. Maybe they thought it would just slide under the radar. Catherine, what about yeah. you? If someone, if someone took one of your, like, an iconic, one of your iconic sort of Burning Man shots and decided they were going to make a, a derivative of that, uh, you know, a T-shirt, and then suddenly the T-shirt gets w like wildfire popular, and you see people walking around, you know, your area with with your image on them. What what would you do? What's what's your recourse? Um. Well, I think the thing that would probably 
be most disheartening for me would be the fact that it's not only, it's one thing for you. You're always, you know, originally when I saw the picture, I was like, well, maybe this was just inspired by this. And then it took it a step further when I saw the telephone wires and it's like, well, this is not just inspiration. This is copying. Um, and I think, I think the thing that's most disheartening is the fact that it, they're profiting off of it. It'd be one thing if they just like a guy made a t-shirt and wore it around and you know, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that a, the corporation's actually profiting off the design on these t-shirts is where that would make me really upset because yeah. I invest so much into capturing the images that. If then, any- then what would you do? You saw that and you're upset. Someone's clearly got your image. Would you call your lawyer or would you just go directly to the source and complain? How would you handle it as a pro? I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go straight to the source because I feel like it's important to in- inform yourself before you do. You contact anyone regarding anything. Um, so I would actually contact some PPA is a great organization that I belong to. And I would talk to them and get advice from one of their lawyers um, to make sure that I don't mess up in the procedure, you know, with any legal procedure, I don't want to go straight to the source and do something I shouldn't have done. So getting advice from someone legally first and then proceeding from there. And they may tell me there's nothing you can do yeah. and then I'm not wasting my time. So, or at least knowing being agitated going into it when I do contact the company. Yeah. Yeah. Tristan, what, what about you? I mean, you, you know, someone takes I, one of your zoo shots and you see it and do you do anything or do you just say, Oh, Hey, I'm flattered. They decided one of my zoo shots was cool. How do you handle that? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent certain. I, I think I would be a little bit irate by it. I, you know, my initial reaction to this was, you know, you would think that a company like this wouldn't take a chance in, in view of negative publicity that's been experienced by the people in the past. But then, then on the flip side of the coin, I, I can't help but wonder to myself if there aren't a whole lot of other people now that know about the shirt that wouldn't have known before. So uh, uh, sometimes I wonder if it isn't slightly calculated. Um, uh, yeah. You know, it, it's – we're certainly talking about it and, and looking at a, a picture that we probably wouldn't really have noticed much about. So I think I would be a bit frustrated if I was in those same shoes. Um, you know, but uh, it, again, it's, it does open up a debate in terms of it's not, ex- it's not like they exactly went and took the, the image as is and, and used it. And it does open up a whole lot of, of debate around it. And it's, it's a tough one to say who exactly is is going to to come off the best. I think it depends on who argues their case best. That's a great point. I, I hadn't I hadn't considered that angle that um, you know maybe this is some you know sneaky nefarious marketing guys ploy to increase to increase well, that, exposure on this gap, gap clothing line now i kind of want to go we, get one you know <laughs> well, it's a nice car i like the shirts you know yeah. i'll get one for my son it's not a problem yeah i was gonna but, say it's know, not it, gonna fit you it's uh, kind of baby clothing right? <laughs> but it it does it, you know I, the the thought only came to me that we've got a, a fast food chain here that 
that regularly creates ads which inevitably within the first week have to get pulled because they've caused so much controversy. But the exposure they've had is, is massive in comparison to, um, to what they would have had if the ad was you know, below the line and, and, and reasonable and, and didn't need to get pulled. So yeah. in some ways, I think people are getting their, more than their money's worth out of this shot. Unfortunately, you know, the photographer's name is out there now as well, but it's, it's obviously not the way that he would have liked to have done it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's got a negative and positive spin-off for both sides. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, this next story up is about crowd-funded journal- photojournalism. And I know, uh, Catherine, you self-fund a lot of your journeys around and you, you know, just because you love photography, you, pay, you travel to different parts of the world, you pay for it, you take pictures, and then, you know, you have that body of work. This is from the standpoint of you... The crowdfunded photojournalism is from the standpoint of you saying, okay, I want to go to this, say, it's South Africa. You know, I want to go to South Africa and shoot. It's going to cost me this much money, and this is what's going to come out of it. And you post this on a site like kickstarter.com or Emphasis, and people, if they like your idea, they fund it. They put in a couple dollars, and when you get to a certain level, you're done, and you can go do the job. Do you think that... Uh, Catherine, do you think that's um, the future of how these things will get funded or or how do you think it's going to play into how you go forward? I mean, I think we all know that the uh, the photojournalism world was grim a decade ago <laughs> and it's our, and it's just getting worse. Mm. Um, so from a standpoint of... Wait, define that. What do you mean grim? Like for the photojournalists <laughs> that are rolling their eyes right now, what do you, what do you mean I that mean the photojournalism the world is grim? It's actually a compliment to them. They should be some of the highest paying photographers and they're just not. Um, you know, I wor- when I worked at Getty Images in 2006, so 2005, five six, so that was five years ago. Sorry, not 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe 10, it was the glory days. But um, five years ago... You know, every you have these sensational photographers that I was exposed to that you you would assume like they must be doing so great. Their work is just out of this world, you know, amazing. And they're just scraping by. And um, you know, it's it's the top like point half percent that are doing really well, like the Steve McCurries or the um, you know, in the world. Mm-hmm. But there's not really a huge paying market for it, especially as when I say grim, print is becoming less and less an avenue for people to get funded to go on these trips. It's not like the days of National Geographic where they had staff photographers, like a ton of staff photographers. Yeah. Um, I don't know what percentage National Geographic staff photographers have been cut, but it wouldn't surprise me if t- 15 years ago or 10 years ago, it was you know 90% more than what they have now. Right, right. Um, so with that said... Um, I do. Wait, what was the original question? No, just I mean, in terms of crowdfunded photojournalism, is, oh, yeah. is this, so this going to be the future, and is yeah, it going to change the way that you get your projects funded? I think it's great. Um, I'm sorry for the tangent, but I think it's really great. I think that we do need to find a new way to get these things. The work is obviously very important, and I don't think anyone undervalues that. It's just the avenue of print has changed, so print is not going to be funding these projects anymore. So we need to figure out a new way. And that's what these sites are doing. And I would, I'm going to use these sites. So yeah. I think it's awesome. And I'm so glad that this show, because I didn't, I wasn't aware of them. 
So, Frederick, thank you so much for exposing me to these other avenues. Well, you're welcome. Thank our producers. Um, they're they're the guys that pull this stuff together. Um, but I want to throw this over to uh, Sarah. So I know you're you're primarily a wedding and portrait shooter. What I was thinking, I was like, how does this relate to other genres of photography other than photojournalism? And I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if you crowdsourced or crowdfunded a wedding where you have the instead of the bride and groom or the parents of the bride and groom paying for the or paying for the photography, you have some sort of mechanism in place so that the people that are attending the wedding could pay for the photography and sort of crowdfund it so that you know the it kind of becomes a group gift to the bride and groom. You think that would be something that would work, or is that just too logistically insane? Yeah, sure. I mean, we do it in the form of gift certificates now, you know, mm, yeah. <laughs> you can, they can gift and gift registry, you know, it's kind of set up a little bit more in our industry than it is in other areas. But the story itself and, and the topic I think is really interesting, no matter what kind of photographer you are, because um, no matter what you do as a photographer, there's always things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. That maybe aren't necessarily specifically in your specific genre, you know, like, um, and I would love to go do a photo safari and, but for me, I want to take brides with me and models. So I think that (laughs) I, I think some of this, um, is really exciting. Like, I think that there's some definitely some marketable ideas that I've had in the past and had no way to really get them done. And, I mean, it's exciting even for wedding and portrait photographers. Any kind of photographer, I think, would be interested in something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, from a selfish standpoint, I was thinking about it. I think we talked about it a couple of shows ago when we were discussing the deterioration of Detroit and how it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, un, it's unfortunate that Detroit is in some parts of Detroit, not all of Detroit. Uh, some parts of Detroit are in sort of a state of suspended animation and kind of going back to nature, if you will. But the the unfortunate but fortunate side effect of that is it's very photogenic for the photographer that wants to go out there and get photos of this urban decay. Wouldn't it be cool if you crowdsourced a trip out there to to cover that? You know, you had a bunch of photographers going out there, say, on an HDR mission to shoot that. I think that would be, that'd be amazing. It would be a good experiment to see if this kind of funding would actually work. Well, and from the funder's point of view, you know, the people that are looking to invest, I mean, this is an amazing resource to find not only great photographers, but great just and just people who have vision, you know, like if you go and see these different ideas, like from for magazines like Tristan, like he's looking for a new story and he doesn't want to come up with the idea himself. He could go and look and find a great idea, a photographer, find everything that he needs to create a story. Yeah. And, you know, he can fund the whole thing himself, you know? Yeah. Would you do that, Tristan? Would you would you fund like use one of these services to say you wanted to do you wanted uh, some a, a story on Egypt, you know, and the, the uprising there? Would you? use a service like this to to kind of crowdfund it and then, you know, deploy it into the magazine? I, I certainly think it's, it opens up a new range of possibilities for us. Um, I mean, I, I'm almost inclined to, to, to say that it's, I, I would, you know, sign up myself. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it, it, there's, there's some great ideas I'd like to shoot. I think 
what what interests me a little bit with this is you know as Catherine was saying is that there, there seems to be almost a, a loss of respect by the public in general for the kind of work that these people do and the, and um, you know it's uh, I. Uh, as digital's increased in popularity, there's this mentality that oh, it's it's you know it, it's cheaper and it should be free kind of thing for to have yeah. these great images and these great stories. And I, I, from my point of view, I mean, publishing in print and publishing in in digital, the yes, there are print costs involved now which we didn't have before, but the work amount is is no less or, or more either way to have great content. Um, and so to, to a degree, I think this is a great way to fund those photographers, but there almost needs to be an, a, an education of the broader market to say, well, you know, we'd pay something, even if it's something small, to have good quality content like this. And I mean, I, it, the, the idea comes, you know, with the launch of the... Um, uh, the, the the daily app for the iPad, um, you know, re- this week, and and the fact that they for good content, people you know who respect what these people journalists are doing would be willing to part with something small. Um, mm-hmm. How successful it is, I don't know, but it, they, this is a great way to help those photojournalists to, to do the work that they want to do. Yeah. I think we're almost shortchanging them in a way somehow still. Yeah, it's interesting. This is a this is a new model that I think is is actually proving to have legs in other industries. For example, industrial design. I know there was a company that designed a um, iPod Nano watch band and got it funded through a service where you could do, you could donate five dollars or twenty dollars or twenty thousand dollars if you wanted. And when they got to a certain level, that meant that they can actually go ahead and press forward with production. Well, they. I think they, by an order of magnitude, surpassed what their goal of funding was and have a viable, thriving business now that cost them basically zero in startup fees because it was crowd for, or crowd uh, sourcer funded. So it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it will open up a lot of avenues. That kind of thing opens up in a, a lot of avenues for both people that are building things and want to get them built but have no way of going to you know, VCs here, you know, in Silicon Valley to get funding for it. They can still get, they can say, well, you know, to hell with you, VC. I'm going to go to the world and let them fund my idea and get it funded if it has legs. And the same thing for photographers. If someone says, you know, some big publisher like Time or whatever says, you know what, your idea for a story um, about whatever is I don't think our readers want to see that. You can say, okay, well, let me ask, let me get a second opinion and ask the world. And if the world agrees, they will fund it and you can build it. So I think it's a, yeah. I think it's a good thing. All right, guys. Yeah, so, it, go ahead. There's only one area that concerns me a little bit in that photographer's vision is such a big piece of, of what you get when you, you know, are working with a specific photojournalist or a specific photographer, especially in the commercial world. And I kind of wonder if we might run across some of the issues like we're running across um, with the photo and art thing where all of these great ideas for stories and stuff are out there and it just becomes an area that people go to pillage ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is a, that's a good point. Yeah. Because it's public. You can say, oh, hey, I want to. There's Sarah Francis that's- idea. I'm going to do that myself, you know? Yeah. Exactly. If they've got the money to do it themselves, it's yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. Sarah, you are always looking at the glasses half empty. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> you go, you got to look at what's what the possibilities are on the flip side. Surrealist. You got to see it. 
right, guys. Uh, there's another story in here that I was going to talk about. We're going to tease it for a, an upcoming show. I think we're going to focus an upcoming show specifically on photo sharing sites, in particular Flickr and how they they're you know unfortunately the lack of innovation that we have seen and how other services seem to be innovating like Facebook and Instagram and you know purephoto.com and all these guys are coming on strong um and smug mug you know coming on sm- strong to eat their lunch and flickr is you know have their have their back turned to their lunch and letting people eat it so we'll we'll talk about that on a subsequent show but right now, um, before we jump into the listener questions, I want to give another nod to another one of our sponsors. Yes, we have two sponsors on this show. This one is um, Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. You can create a website that is uniquely you. You can display your photos from, yes, Flickr, or a blog you've been thinking about starting, or the tweets or RSS feeds you love, or anything, uh, you know, basically that that you'd like to stick into your blog. You can do it if it has an RSS feed. And the design and colors that you want, you just, you know, sort of pick it. And everything's online, which is cool about this. And I'm a, 2011 has been sort of a year for me that I decided to move most of my online activities or most of my computer activities where possible online. Like Squarespace.com is one of those services where you can have things live in the cloud. And it's always there. Um, there's a, I think it was the last show we had Joseph Linaski on who runs his entire site, which is at apertureexpert.com and he runs it and he built it specifically and exclusively on Squarespace, not because he's sponsored by Squarespace, not anything. He just decided it was the best way to go for his site. And I look at his site and it's one of the more intricate sites out there in terms of how all this stuff sort of fits together. He's got a forum on there. He's, he posts often. He manages it with his iPhone and iPad. Um, he can disapprove or approve comments directly from wherever he happens to be. He's got um, a membership area on there where people can log in and get a username and password. He could even turn on, turn on commerce if he wanted to where people could – he could charge a fee to become a member of that site. And it's all in the cloud and it's all redundant. It's all easy. So I would, if you're thinking about building a website or blog, I would definitely check out Squarespace for your website needs. You can build it, you can host it, and manage it and update it at any time. And for listeners of this podcast, just head over to squarespace.com slash twip. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out, build your website. And if you like it, you know, it's yours. And you can, I think they even have these really cool design templates that you can load in and just sort of skin it to get a good starting point on what you want your website to look like. Again, that's squarespace.com forward slash twip. All right, guys, it's time for some listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com slash forum. They find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And here are this week's questions. I think number one is from Henrik in Germany. Um, I'm going to toss this over to Tristan first. You want to take this one? Okay. Um, Henrik asks, uh, you know, he's going to the Grand Canyon and hopes to see uh, the Horseshoe Bend and the Antelope Canyon. And he wants to know what uh, focal length that he should be taking for his uh, crop sensor camera, which is a, a 1.6 crops. Um, 
I would strongly recommend on a 1.6 crop going for, you know, a, a really good wide angle. Um, I know 1.6 crop is probably a cannon, so you'd be looking at, at their 10 to 22 or Sigma's uh, 10 to 20. Um, really, you know, to, to kind of get it all in. I was up at the Victoria Falls in, in Zambia um, a little while ago, and I know that uh, – yeah, the, the the standard eighteen to fifty five that that was going around the group with the Sony launch was not wide enough to grab much of the of the falls in. They so so big. So definitely go for a nice wide angle like that, um, where you would still have little wide angle distortion on it. It's it's not like it's a fisheye lens. Um, I know some people like. Uh, I've seen some interesting photographs done of the horseshoe bend with. Um, a big four by five camera, and if you wanted the same kind of effect, you would need to look at going for a bit of a tilt shift lens. But I don't think there's any tilt shift lenses made that that work terribly well on a crop sensor camera. So yeah. that that might be a bit out of the the equation. You could always hire a full frame camera and, and lens, depending on how long your trip's going to be. Um, but uh, definitely something like a ten to twenty two or a ten to twenty would be be my recommendation for that. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and uh, I would piggyback on that to say. Give borrowlenses.com or lensrentals.com a call and ask them. And, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of of buying the core set of lenses that you need and owning them and renting the ones that you use sporadically like this. So, you know, these exotic lenses, you know, go, yeah, go book your trip and rent them. In fact, I, I did a trip to, um, geez, where was it? Oh, Yellowstone with Scott Bourne once. And photo, uh, I think it was lens rentals, actually shipped. No, yeah, it was lens rentals. Yeah, they actually shipped the lens directly to Yellowstone for me. So, you know, these big lenses, you don't have to worry about checking them in or carrying them on the plane. You just have them shipped to your location and get them, you know, at your hotel. And, you know, you've got it. You shoot with them during your journey journey, and then have the hotel ship them back when you leave. So it's it's all good, you know, and you, you have this thousand dollar, multiple thousands of dollar, you know, lens with you for the trip and with no no real impact other than the fee for renting the, the, the lens. That's it. I also recommend that they um, play a bit with some panoramics in that while they're there as well. I think it, oh, yeah. you know, there'll be some great opportunities to, to get some good panoramic shots there. Totally, totally. All right, question number two. Um, I want to throw to Catherine Hall. Catherine, I'm going to read this for you. This is from Chris Campbell from Agora, California. He wants to know what folks are doing with their excess or outdated camera gear besides selling it on equipment dealers or to used equipment dealers or eBay. In other words, is there a worthy organization that could put this used gear to use like some charitable organization that he could donate this stuff to. I don't know, Sarah, do you have an answer to this one? <laughs> well, there were, I had a couple things in mind. Um, one thing I, I did with some of my past camera gear was took it to the local user group that I'm a part of. So mm-hmm. I'm a part of the Pictage user group and there's a lot of new photographers in there um, there's also a lot of local resources. Like if you tap into a local user group that you want to be a part of, um, you can find so much there. I know there's, um, pugs and there's smugs and, you know, a ton of different local user groups that you can be involved in. And I just took all my stuff and like said, here, I have all this stuff I'm not using if anybody wants it and it's useful for you, take it. 
there's also a couple places online. I know I saw on the forums somebody recommended 100cameras.org, which looked like a good organization. And schools, a lot of times, if you call and ask them, but I would stay local with it if you can. I mean, there's nothing like supporting your local community. And when you do that, it just not only like supports the people around you, but also comes back to you usually um, in in just having that local community be aware of you and donating and, and benefiting those people that are closest to you. Absolutely. And just to piggyback on that, we had what the, the folks from 100cameras.org um, on the show um, several episodes ago, and they sort of described their business model and all that. It's, a, it's an amazing organization, so I would, I would get behind that. Um, and then secondly, Sarah, you mentioned that you took a bunch of gear to your to one of your uh, user group meetings. And did you give it away? And how come I wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, for gear that I that I don't use, I just find somebody who I think can use it. <laughs> yes. And I am the proud owner of one of your 50 millimeter lenses. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so I I just think that if you can find people who need something. So basically, you know, it wasn't a lot of really crazy expensive gear, but I had some bags I wasn't using. I had different like filters and stuff that I had tried for flashes that I, that didn't really fit what I was doing, but definitely could fit what somebody else was doing. And I think that all of that stuff, when you have a lot of that gear, you can, you can definitely pass it on. Um, when it comes to like film cameras and things like that, a lot of times the photographers that you'll meet at your pugs or smugs um, don't want them. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> find, finding like schools and kids and local communities can be better for that kind of stuff. So it's definitely not the big stuff, but um, your uh, local people around you are, are just so grateful if there's things that, you know, you can pass on to them. Yeah. So. All right. This next question. Oh, no. Go ahead, Tristan. Sorry, just one thing I want to add in there. I think, you know, we've got this mentality that once a camera's been replaced, um, you know, it's 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 almost useless. And that that's really not the case. I mean, these cameras have a lot of life in them. Some one of the people I know what he that he did when he's D seventy, um when he finally upgraded from his D seventies, he converted it for infrared photography. Um mm-hmm. so that it's not you know, he's not it, it's got a proper infrared sensor or uh, filter in on the front of the sensor and, and um you know it's it's permanently converted and he's actually using that probably more than what he's using his new D seven thousand or whatever it is that he's got at the moment. Um but also as you mentioned I think you know there's I know in here in South Africa we've got a, a, a a top wedding photographer who's going into the communities and actually teaching uh, school kids in, in disadvantaged communities the skill of photography um, because you know it's it's something that's been quite elusive for a lot of them and and there's a love in the communities um, in South Africa for photography but it's it's generally considered a luxury item and she's going in there and teaching these kids skills and that and looking for people to to help you know provide cameras and that for them to be able to teach uh, the first couple of lessons are done using cardboard cameras um, wow. you know and and so or cardboard cutouts of, of just to learn the composition and that. So I think there are lots of areas in where these cameras can be good, put to good use just because it's, it's outdated and, and people may not want to spend money on it doesn't mean that it's worthless. Got it. 
Okay, this next question I want to put to both Sarah and Catherine. Um, this is from Glenn. He's in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and he's considering joining a professional organization, but he's having trouble choosing which one. He wants to know if we have any recommendations on PPA, uh, WPPI, or other organizations for someone who's going to specialize in general portraiture and high school seniors and maybe eventually weddings and events. So, do, which Sarah, I'll throw it to you first, since you mentioned WPPI. What WPPI, PPA, or some other for this guy? You know, there's great things about all the organizations, and I think you can benefit from from all of them. I've been to um, PPA's conference. I've been to WPPI. Um, also, for him, he might look into SPA, which is Senior Portrait association maybe yeah. <laughs> i don't know what the, um but that is a really great organization specifically for seeing for shooting senior portraits so and it's smaller so sometimes like a smaller organization can feel better um when you're first getting started but uh i would a hundred percent recommend going to wppi um and and just really soaking it in as much as you can when you're there. But I think that really where a lot of real connections happen is, you know, bringing it back to local. Like, I think getting involved with the, with the Pictage user groups or some small photography user group in your area is going to help you tenfold because of the relationships that you develop. And sometimes WPPI can feel really, really huge and, and you need a friend there first before to help you navigate through it. So I would start local and definitely if you can, you know, make it to WPPI. But I know Catherine's more um, has a little bit more knowledge on the on the PPA area of things. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think um, it's kind of based on what you're looking for. BPA will help. PPA has a support network set up. So they're like, you can email them questions. You can ask for help. They're sort of there in a way that WPPI isn't. Um, WPPI puts on the trade show and they have the contest and they have the magazine, but you're not emailing them for legal advice, you know? So they, they offer different services. Um, with that said, being one that has attended both conventions, um, you know, PPA is great for sort of overall, exposure to different genres of photography. Whereas I prefer WPPI, which is, um, you know, for actually going to the convention, um, just because it's really focused on the type of photography I'm pursuing, which is sounds to me like this, this question, um, listener, he portrait wedding, high school weddings and events. Those are all things that WPPI focuses on. So he may benefit from attending that convention versus PPA and um, WPPI also offers a scholarship called the Hyshenan Scholarship. And that's a great way to, like, for example, the first time I went to WPPI, I didn't know anyone. And as Sarah said, it's, it is kind of intimidating. Um, but the scholarship, I got it in 2000, I forget which year. When did I, 2006 or something? Mm -hmm. Anyway. Sounds um, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a really great way. They And it it allowed me, it brought me into the community in a way that, so I wasn't just going blind and they took care of everything for me. So if you go to the WPPI we website, it's on there. And I was actually surprised. It seemed like a great honor when I got it, but I don't think that many people applied. 
<laughs> You're not supposed to so, say that. <laughs> no, but I mean, what I'm trying to say is that it, sometimes people don't apply for things because they think they'll never get it. And the point of the story is oh, yeah. I'll humble myself for the better good. Um, it, it's really good to get yourself out there and apply for these things. And like Sarah said, going to WPPI more so than just joining the organization per se actually physically going is really what's going to give you the benefit and it will open up your world to things that you just, it changed my, it definitely changed my life, my career and everything. Um, so the, on and, that, on that, Catherine, the, you know, there's the whole camaraderie and, and networking and, you know, just sort of getting re-energized about photography that these conferences sort of give you. Cause I know when I go, I, I'm, you know, you're like, oh, do I really want to go to this? And you go and you're like, wow, I'm so glad I came, you know, and Sarah, not just because of the parties you throw at WPPI, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's really? really only because of the party. Let's, okay. let's be honest. All right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but, you know, there, you just you, when you're there, you feel like you're marinating in a crowd of people that have like interests and it just re-energizes you. But what I wanted to I want to take this to the tack of being pragmatic about it. What? From a from a person who like th- this gentleman who's transitioning from amateur into you know paid and professional photography, what do these organizations give him? I mean, you know, there's insurance and legal advice, like you mentioned earlier, Catherine. What what kind of things should he expect to to get besides just a magazine and you know coming to conferences? Sarah, I'll throw it to you first. Um, well, I think with with PPA and WPPI, they have incredible presenters who give just a wealth of information and knowledge that is really hard to get anywhere else. And I, and I know that if you go to WPPI and, and, and PPA conventions or Pictage partner conference, like all of these conferences, you really get the benefit if you go and attend and see the presentations, because that is really I think the big shift that happens the first time that you go, um, walking the trade show floor is overwhelming and, and you can get some knowledge there for sure, as well as products and stuff that are out there. But really the application of those products and how photographers are running their businesses is, is where the big education comes in for him and what he can get in actually attending. Um, being, being a member, I mean, they don't stop education throughout the year. The conferences are a big culmination of, of a bunch of, a bunch of things all at once, but education happens all year long with PPA and WPPI. I mean, WPPI did the road show this year and that comes locally to like, to where you're at, but really what you're going to get from these organizations is, is education, obviously, um, but the biggest piece for me is always community. And, and I think that if you really connect with people, uh, and you're able to kind of make, make a friendship or make a relationship with another photographer, it doesn't have to be one of the presenters or someone who you think knows a lot. I mean, just a local photographer in your area or even somebody in another state, you can ask them questions, you can share ideas. And it's that, idea sharing that happens that comes from these conferences and these relationships that really helps you further your business. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Catherine, you have anything to add to that? No, come visit me at WPPI. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I'll be um, obviously Sarah. Sarah, what what time? Or do you know when? Or do you have a class? Yeah, I have a master class. It sold out, but um, it is Sunday, and then um, of course we're throwing our party Sunday night. Yes, okay. and I'll be at the Sony booth like once a day, every day during the trade show. So. I love to meet anyone that hears me on Twip and wants to just come by and say hi. That's what I'm there for. All right, everyone, you heard that. Uh, please bum rush Sarah France at the Sony <laughs> <the Sony> booth. <laughs> All right, guys, let's let's move on. Hey, I'm gonna be there too, Frederick. Uh, yeah, where, where are you? Where what booth are you gonna be in again? Well, no, I'm doing the headline program on um, in the Grand Arena. It's on, from seven to nine on Tuesday. Awesome. So. And, and you're going to be giving away free Manfrotto gear? Is that No. It, no? <laughs> well, it's going to be me and a bunch of ladies talking about photography, so it should be fun. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, definitely check that out. All right. It's, uh, we're coming to the close here. We're, we're at the time where we do our picks of the week. And remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Tristan Hall, I want to throw it to you first. What, uh, what is your pick of the week? Well, the the pick I had planned to share with you um, was a, a great cell phone camera that I was given to review, but it's died on me twice in 24 hours. <laughs> so I'm not going to be recommending that until we can find out what's wrong with it. Um, but uh, we had a photo walk recently. Um, uh, we're trying to have one once a month with uh, all our readers. Well, not all our readers, but with some of our readers. Um, and uh, I was given a what they call the, the B-grip. Um, which is uh, the belt. It's a belt that uh, has a clamp almost like on the bottom of your, almost like a tripod quick release on the bottom of your camera and a clip on your, on this big belt that you put on you and it keeps the camera on your, on your side as if it was, you know, a gun on, in a holster. Um, and you're able to walk around with the, your camera on your waist at all times on the ready for you to, to whip off and, and shoot if you come across something. And for the photo walk, it was great. It was, uh, I didn't have any painful neck straps around me or anything like that. Um, and sadly, I didn't take the camera off the belt terribly often either. So it worked really well. I didn't know it was there most of the time. Nice. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, great. If, you, if you're looking to walk around with just one camera and lens kind of situation, uh, fantastic, worthwhile looking at that. Um, the B-Grip, it's made in Italy, and um, I, I think it is. And it's fantastic, really well well. Uh, worth looking at. Very cool. Great. Thank you for that. All right. Next up, um, Catherine Hall, what's your pick? Um, mine is the Manfrotto um, Black Aluminum 3 Section Stacker Stand. And basically what it is, is, well, I have three of them. They, they snap together. Um, so like, for example, I'll have three stamps that come together. They snap together as one unit. So it makes it really, really easy. I shoot on location a lot. So it makes it very easy to travel. It's compact. It's light. You don't have like a bunch of stands rolling around the back of your car. Everything's together. Um, and the stands are amazing. So they're my pick of the week. Very cool. Awesome. Those are great stands. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Black you aluminum. Yeah. I replaced my lighting kit stands for these. I mean, they're just, they're awesome. Very cool. And that, that Manfrotto gear, like you were saying before, Catherine, on a different show, just lasts forever, right? I mean, oh, yeah. You buy it once and that's it. So it's definitely worth the investment. Definitely not the IKEA of photo gear, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which you buy and then buy again and buy again. <laughs> Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. All right. Speaking of Rolls Royces, Sarah France, what is your pick of the week? 
my pick of the week, um, it was it was hard to choose. I had I had a lot of things rolling around in my head, but I decided to go with the Sony Video Light. Um, I get asked this question all the time on like what video light that I use. So it's a Sony video light uh, that I carry around to most of my shoots. It's really small. It's super cheap. It's 120 bucks, And um, it's easy to take around and have a video light because a lot of the video lights on the market are just huge yeah. and hard to carry. So um, I definitely... I definitely love it. That so that's my pick of the week. Can I give a side note of another pick of the week that I was so excited about? Yeah, go for um, it. I just gotta give a shout out to the fact that Aperture is now seventy nine dollars <laughs> in the app in the app store. It is. <laughs> I, it is. I can't believe that that they're doing that, and that is amazing. So, um, in the app store, it used to be. It's one ninety nine normally, but in the app store they've got it for seventy nine dollars. So yeah, we we talked about that. I think it was last week we touched on that a little bit, and I think we were saying that at that price you can afford to have both Aperture and Lightroom running on your machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely, you, know, you can benefit from the, all the because Aperture has some cool stuff in there with being able to make books like, and uh, all its slideshows and all this crazy stuff. So you could have the best of both worlds and not have to choose. So yeah, yeah. totally. Except if you're a, Mac, uh, a Microsoft user. Yes, unless if you're a Microsoft user. Thank <laughs> oh, right. you. I'm I'll, sorry. I'll I keep forgetting salt, about that. the salt in my wounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, Tristan, you there is... an app store anyways. I was going to say, Tristan, there's a way around that. There's an easy fix for that. <laughs> we'll send you a website. It's <laughs> apple.com. No, just kidding. No offense to all the Microsoft <laughs> Windows users out there. Microsoft is a fine platform. But <laughs> Okay. Just you don't have say, you don't have aperture on it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I must say though, I, I've just started playing with the trial version of Lightroom, and um, I have a new lease on on life with my photographs. I'm oh really my. enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. A, it's a fast, fast, fine program. Yep. Amazing. All right. Uh, my pick of the week is I got this thing in the mail uh, from time to time. Uh, Peach Pit press sends me books to check out and i got this one in a couple days ago it's called photo trade secrets and i gotta say it is one of my favorite i think i might have talked about it before but i'm going to talk about it again it's um uh it's under the strobist brand and if you don't know who strobist is go to strobist.com um, David Hobby's website, where he's uh, he's a big fan of using small light to get big results. But these books are, I wouldn't even call them books. They're like a, a stack of large index cards, glossy printed. On one side is a photograph, and on the back of that is a uh, description of how that photograph was made. So they are very wow. cool. Very, very cool. And they're perforated, so you can rip them out and take them with you and try to do the photo. And then, uh, you know, go try to do the next one. And it's not its not like you need all this crazy gear to do these. It's like, okay, here's st- – set your flash here, softbox here. This is what it's going to look like. Take the picture. You know, and they're really, really that fun. That sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, mentioned, yes. I mentioned it before, but I wanted to mention it again because these are really cool. They're on the back. I'm looking at it right now. On the back, it's saying that these are twenty four ninety nine, but I'm looking on Amazon, and they're actually only fourteen forty eight. So yeah, just look up. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. But if you want to just type it in, just go to just look up uh, Strobist Photo Trade Secrets on Amazon, and you'll find it. All right, we are at the end of the show, guys. So let's uh, let's wrap it up. Catherine, where can folks find you online? 
Um, Twitter, Catherine, spelled like Catherine the Great with a C, um, underscore Hall, H-A-L-L. And then also my website, CatherineHall.net. And that's that's the best places. Wonderful. All right. And Tristan, where are you at online? Um, Twitter at photocomment or at photocomment.net. Wonderful. And Miss Sarah France, where are you at in the ether? Um, on Facebook, I'm Sarah France Photography uh, is my business site. And then at Sarah France. And there's no H in my name in case people are wondering. <laughs> That's a common one. And my blog is Where in the World is France? And of course, that. my website is Sarah France. I love that. That's very cool. Yeah, that's nice. That is very cool. All right. And <laughs> to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.